0: Christ be with you. Thank you and good morning. Uh, As always, your presence here is an act of love. You've chosen to participate in life with God and with others this morning. And you can do that every day, by the way. But this is one space in which we become conformed to that way of life. And so thank you for choosing to participate And the With Jesus Life, which is what Axiom Church seeks and desires to uh, live in uh, perpetually. We want to send you into that space that God exists beyond uh, the spaces of these walls, just as you do. And even in spaces of wilderness, God is there. And that's what we've been talking about in this Lent season, this journey through the desert through the places of solitude and silence, through the places of resistance. When you go to those places where you find yourself at the edge of who you are, the releasing of the old and the uh, partaking in the new, and that is a place filled with tension filled with struggle. But it's a place where you're not neutral. It's a place where you are being transformed. And that's why we want to live there in seasons. And so here we are. And we've been talking through overcoming the world, resisting the devil. And today we're going to talk about fighting the flesh. But first I want to just uh, say up at the top here that this week uh, here at Axiom, we had a bit of a milestone. and, And You guys might not have picked up on it, but I did as the pastor who started this church. I've been longing for and praying towards this day. We have, for the first time, we're sending youth to camp. That's going to happen. And I don't know, like my inner youth child came out and kind of wanted to go. And... (laughs) I'm not going to, but I think it's going to be awesome for those of you that are there. So thank you so much to our leaders and to those that serve in the youth area and blessings to you. If you're one of those, uh, students that are anticipating that, make sure you invite some friends or if you guys know of anybody, it's not too late to get people connected. And so we'll talk more about that later, but I just personally am thanking God for that and was excited about that. I'm also thanking God because. I, from all outward appearances, it seems like the women last week on the retreat had a really good time, and so way to go to you girls for getting away, spending some time together, and props to, props to you guys, that's important, and, so, and I'm glad you came back, um, because single dad life is not, is not, you know, my norm, so I'll put it that way. Hey, I did, I did just fine though. For real. So today fight the flesh. That's what we're going to talk about. Who's so excited to hear about why sex is bad. (laughs) So, so when you hear fight the flesh, just curious what comes to mind. Clearly, you know what comes to mind for me. What comes to mind for you guys when you think of that term? Do anybody feel a little guilt and shame or a little bit of like discomfort? Does anybody want to look their neighbor in the eye and go, me too? (laughs) No? (laughs) I'm glad you're laughing. I would invite uh, participation. For real, what what do you think of when you think of this term, fight the flesh? What comes up for you? Selfishness, Selfishness, anger, anger, yeah. Gluttony. 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 Okay, you can't speak in tongues unless we're going to interpret it. Not all at once. One more time. What was that back here? Yes. And what else? Restraint. Restraint. Very good. Yeah. So I don't know what it brings up for you. I mean, well, I do now. I know what it brings up for you. But today we are going to talk about this idea of fighting the flesh. However, beyond parental lectures and warnings about hell and sex and those kind of things, I think we need to begin by distinguishing what we mean when we say the flesh, because here's the truth. Not all flesh is bad. It's not. It's not. Typically, we associate the flesh as bad because we focus on the negative use of the word, and we're certainly going to do that today. But flesh is actually good. And I want you to say it with me. Flesh is good. Yeah, way to go, sinners. All right. No, truthfully, though, it really is good. Nobody believes me now. Shoot. John chapter 1, verse 14, we read this. This is a significant passage. It's really at the fulcrum of the gospel. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And when we read that passage with exclamation, it, we read it like that because we understand that it's good news that God chose to... Uh, move from the sort of disembodied space, if you will, into the human body that you also have. God chose to become human. And what we see in this idea here, and you've heard this language before, is that matter matters to God. That's what this tells us, is that God cares about the flesh so much that he's going to subject himself to it so that, and here's the other part of the good news, so that he might restore it, so that he might resurrect it. So if there's a part of your flesh that you are wrestling with, that you are fighting with, you need to know that Christ has fought this too and done it victoriously. And if he had not chosen to do this, we would be in serious trouble. Our fight with the flesh would have no end. But because Christ entered into the flesh, our story is also one of resurrection. Our story can be one in which our body becomes our ally, not our enemy in Christ's likeness, where your body cheerleads the will and way of God as much as your heart does, and as much as the spirit, if appropriately placed in its position, is doing as well. In fact, even in the wilderness, when Jesus went into those forty days, the flesh was an ally for Jesus, and sometimes we we miss this. In fact, sometimes we read it from the other angle. We think that Jesus is weak and he's suffering and he's getting weaker and weaker and more susceptible and more susceptible when in fact he doesn't fight the enemy until the very end. And the key thing here is, is that as he has chosen to step into fasting, into subjecting his flesh to the will of God, he gets stronger And stronger and stronger. So much so that he is able to overcome the world, fight the devil and the flesh. But also, Jesus, when he resurrects from the dead, he doesn't leave the meat sack behind. He takes it with him. Which means that our, not just that our bodies matter, but that our bodies are part of what it means to be alive eternally with God. So this is, this is all good news. So give yourself a hug, shake your own hand, feel your face and say it again, the flesh is good. Your flesh matters to God. God cares about your flesh. He does. Not just your mind, not just your spirit, but your body too. Now, he cares about it so much that when our body begins to give itself to things that aren't good for it, this is how we know he cares because he warns us about it. He steps in and says, hold on. He he sends off those internal signals. He alerts those around you that love you the most. They become attentive and aware that something's not right, that God is at act because he cares so much about your flesh and about who you are as a person that he's willing to say even the hard thing, but he's willing to do it in a myriad of ways that when you really look at it and you really step back, it's just the overwhelming love of God. So if you're in the room and you are fighting the flesh and you have been for a long time, I invite you to begin to look at the myriad of ways that God continues to remind you that your flesh matters to him and that he sees victory in you and he believes that there's a way because he hasn't given up on you yet. So maybe you shouldn't give up either. But we know that the flesh can get bad. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul talks about it this way. He says, hey, the, f- the bad part of the flesh, it's obvious. The acts of the flesh are obvious, okay? We could name the sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery for this side of the room, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage. Yep, you guys too. Uh, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so Paul gets in on the action here, and he says, hey, listen, these things too can harm you. It hurts you, and that's true. It's true that as we uh, participate in these things, and if we live like this, and that's a key idea here, if we live like this, we will not inherit the kingdom of God. This idea of live like this is that if if you become this, if this becomes your way of life, your way of living, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that's true because those things don't flourish in the kingdom of God. They die away. But it's also true that whenever we participate in these things, not just if we live like this, but when we participate in these things, we are not experiencing the kingdom of God in that moment. Because it is outside of what it looks like to live in such a way where life is life from above. We're choosing instead to live in another kingdom, another realm, another space. And that's just... The nature of it, okay? It's just how that works. And the reason these things are bad is again, it's not because God doesn't enjoy a good time, okay? It's because sometimes a good time can hurt you. It's because sometimes these things that we 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 know that we want, we know that we like it, we know those when we give in to those things, they hurt others also. Because as we participate in these things, they begin to control us, dictate us. And that's really the problem. It's not the sinful act. It's the way the sinful act affects you. It's the consequence of the act, which is the natural experience that you're having as you give into it. You are finding yourself not just enjoying some new addiction or some new thing, you're finding yourself being tied to more deeply a way of being. And God looks at that and he says, no, my son, my daughter, no. I care too much about who you are. I put all of my creative energy into who you are and I see who you are. And this thing... That you chose to do whatever. It said, now that you've chosen it, that it's begun to color who you are. It's begun to take hold of you. It's begun to become the thing that drives the thing. It's a matter of who who we become. And each act, by the way, is going to inform you in life. It'll actually transform you physiologically, and you'll be slightly different as a consequence of every action. You never are the same person today that you were yesterday based on the acts you make because your decisions have an effect on who you are. If you're supposed to go here in life, but instead you go here, you become further from that which you were called to in every decision. Because that decision is the surrender of the power of who you are into something that you're not. Does this make sense? Now, to to help put this into example here, do you ever just have to have something? (laughs) Who went into driftwood this morning and stared at the donuts and thought to yourself, I think I want that and entered into the internal struggle of, well, but I probably shouldn't have that. I know I did, and I lost that battle. I did. I'm confessing it to you now. But I didn't lose it at first glance. At first glance, was at seven this morning, and I looked at it for a little while, and decided, no, I'm just gonna do coffee. And then I came back and I saw others looking at it, and I thought, well, but what if they get it and I don't? And so I entertained it again. And as I entertained it a second time, I noticed that my body was more demanding than the first time. What happened to my flesh from the first time to the second time? Where have you gone, flesh? Well, it went under the power of the donut it did and that donut was delicious <laughs> um, that's called we have a word for that in English it's called compulsion it's a symptom of our flesh being moved from freedom to enslavement that's what compulsion is every time you think you have to have something okay, something is compelling you what is it? What's the thing? Who's in charge? And that's the tricky thing about this. In freedom, we think we can choose things, but the truth is we have to be able to choose them genuinely, freely. Every time we make a decision in, in compulsion, we're not actually making a decision freely, are we? We choose something because we're afraid of losing it. Um, I'm in a program with Mike and Ross, and, and, and we've read a book by Gerald Mays. And, and in that, what, a quote I had to pull out, the objects of our attachments and addictions become our idols. We give them our time, energy, and attention, whether we want to or not, even and often especially when we are struggling to rid ourselves of them. We want to be free, compassionate and happy, but in the face of our attachments, we are clinging, grasping and fearfully self-absorbed. Attachment and addiction is the it, it follows compulsion. When we give in to compulsion, we 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 give up power. It's not freedom to have whatever we want, but freedom from compulsion is what we need. It's interesting. We, we, we talk about the devil in scary language, and for good reason. What do we know that the devil does to us? He lies. He tempts us but the devil doesn't actually have power over you it doesn't choose for you but the flesh sometimes does sometimes the flesh has total control so how do we fight this No surprises here. We fight it like Jesus did. Jesus was in the wilderness. He chose to deny the flesh of its wants and needs. He chose to not eat. That's what fasting is, by the way. It's choosing not to eat. Because what happens when we do that? When we choose to fast, it doesn't take very long for all the things that annoy us to show up. It's interesting how when you choose to fast, all our little powers start to flex their muscles. Y'all hangry, aren't you? (laughs) And for Jesus, this was important. Sometimes we think fasting is insignificant, but I want to correct you. Jesus didn't think it was insignificant. Uh, Jesus was not recorded saying, if you fast, he was recorded saying, when you fast. For him, it was not an option. For the early church, it wasn't an option. Every Wednesday and Friday, they fasted. Because it was necessary for keeping the flesh in its appropriate place. It was necessary for creating the kind of space for you and God to engage in things alternative than bread alone. Fasting from food always puts us on edge, but it's there that we can see clearly the things that control us. We learn to have eyes when we fast. And our our unhealthy flesh, as it is starved, begins to learn to not get what it wants. And that's key here. This issue of what we want or feel like having. Getting what we want is what we think gives us life. But it doesn't. So in fasting, we strengthen our soul through our stomach not through our willpower. And that's the shift. A lot of us think we can overcome our things with willpower. The Bible doesn't teach that. Life doesn't teach that. It's not willpower that transforms us. It's the Spirit's power that helps us transform it. Now, the willpower is helpful. We're not opposed to that. But we don't think that it's going to do the trick. We don't think that slapping ourselves in the face is going to make it happen. Or just plowing through is going to make it happen. It's not. It's not. We must root ourselves in God's supply, His heavenly supply. We cannot lean on our own personal means any longer. Especially in a culture dominated by feelings. And again, feelings aren't bad, flesh isn't bad. It's bad when it's in control. Matthew four four, Jesus said it. And I have already alluded to it. It's written, "Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God." Now, we, that's a, that's more than a cute saying. Okay, please take it for more than that. And ask yourself the obvious question: Do you live on bread alone, or do you live on every word that comes from God? Where is your source of becoming coming from? Your decisions every day will tell you if you don't know. Jesus is teaching us here the way, He's showing it to us. That yes, we must partake in food, but we, as followers of Him, know that there is something so much better than that food something life-giving that actually creates freedom for us. As we said earlier, fasting makes room for power. Jesus grew in power as he fasted. So first, to fight the flesh, we fast like Jesus. We don't fast just because it's a good idea. We don't fast because the discipline fixes us. We fast because it creates the space for us to depend on God. And we fast because it helps us see what our devils are. We need to see that so we know what we're fighting. I lost myself here. For Paul... The spirit was necessary so we fast but second we need to walk in the spirit and again that's a choice too that's a decision sitting around going well i don't know what that looks like or how do i do that is not choosing galatians chapter 5 verse 16 and 17 which just is before the passage i looked at before So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. The Spirit which you've been given is giving you the means to notice... When something's not right. And we choose the Spirit. Because that's the appropriate ordering of our soul. Of who we are in God. And by submitting ourselves to the Spirit, we begin to entertain the things of the Spirit. We drink it in. We consume it instead. We become Drunk on the spirit. We receive it, we sit in and allow it to infiltrate our minds, in our hearts. and as our minds, in our body, in our heart marinades in the life of the spirit, we begin to put the flesh where it belongs. Let me rephrase that. God begins to put things where they belong. He begins to reorganize our fleshly desires for kingdom, for life. He puts a love in you for others. He puts a love in you for yourself. He, He reorganizes the spaces where forgiveness has been impossible He re-narrates the places where you've given up hope. He begins to do all the things that in the flesh we couldn't do on our own. So we resist, we fight the flesh in fasting. And we fight the flesh by walking in the Spirit. And lastly, I'll say this. Do you have another ally? It's in the room right now. It's those people around you. We do it in confession. We do it in 12 step at 3 o'clock on Sundays here at Axiom. We do it in our community groups Wednesdays and Thursday nights. We do it by our bedside in the morning. We need to confess, we need to enter into spaces of accountability. So that we might experience the love of God through others. And we might recognize that our problem isn't our problem. It's all of our problems. And we all have the need for the same same solution. Which is found in Christ alone. And that's why Jesus invites you to his table. He invites you to come partake in his flesh. Eat this drink. Drink my blood. On each side of the room here... Uh, is communion cups. And I want to invite us to enter into a space of allowing ourselves to partake in the with God life together. And maybe you're new here, and I want you to know that when we take communion, we encourage one another to huddle with those around you. You don't have to. You can sit on your own. That's fine. But I encourage you to find somebody you don't know or or whoever and just huddle with them and take it together. You could do it in silence. But you are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. And if you feel led, I encourage you in that space to confess out loud with your mouth the the ties of the flesh and just be transparent about it because everybody there with you has it too. And then allow those around you to just say, Bless you. Bless you. You are forgiven. You're at the table of Jesus Christ. He's welcomed you to it. May you go and be transformed. Can we do that together as a church body? Can we take communion together as Christ invites us? And I encourage you as well, if you're needing a little extra help today or maybe not at all, join us in prayer and worship in the corner so that we can lift you up. We have a team that's so eager to do that with you. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we uh, surrender to you. We come to you to worship. We come to you to partake in the elements. Because they're good. And we know that we can partake in this all day long. That we can never fill enough. We can never have too much of it. That every time we partake in it, it's good for us. And so God, I pray that you will reorganize our unhealthy desires in the direction of your desires that as we partake in the bread and in the blood, the body and the blood, that we would increasingly become like your broken body and your poured out blood for others, God. In your precious name, amen.